great. Well, welcome, welcome back to our Space Biff book space. I'm your host, Somerset Winters Thoreau. It's been a while because I had a baby. Yes, Borby. She's here. Baby Borby is here. Baby Borby is here. Arrived early. Five weeks. Yeah, five weeks early. She is officially two days old. How old is she now? Yeah, her due date was two days ago. Oh. Three days ago. So she's a month and three days old. Baby Borby. That was exciting. Yeah, it's lovely. And tiring. And Brockhead, we have to introduce ourselves now that you've. Oh, right. You've been hogging it. And uh, Mommy with, Hagen. with me today are Dan Thoreau, no relation, and uh, Brock Polson. Brock Polson. Also no relation. I'm right. Aware. No relation. None of us are related. Well, around here. <laughs> probably yeah. something. There's probably something. Yeah, that's true. Maybe so. That pioneer stock. Yep. <laughs> well, today we're going to be talking about a book called is it The Master of Sorrows or just Master just of Sorrows? Just It's cleaner. Master, Master of Sorrows. Of Sorrows. Kind of like just instead of instead of the Facebook, it's just That's right, Facebook. yeah. Justin when, Timberlake yep, told him to jump. Exactly when Justin Timberlake <laughs> <laughs> told Ratface, what's his name? That guy. In in Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Zuckerberg. Well no, but who's the actor? He's like uh, a little Eisenberg, right? Yeah, I, Eisenberg. Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg. Yep. <laughs> little old rat face Eisenberg. They're kind of similar. Uh, anywho, we're reading, we read the book Master of Sorrows by Justin Call. And uh, he's a new author. But give him his due, like a serial killer, he has three names oh, Justin, Justin, Travis, Tra- Call. Is it Travis or Trevor? Travis. Dang it. Okay, Travis. Okay. It's an epic fantasy. It's quite an epic tome. Yeah. We'll get into that. First of all, I'd like to introduce a new uh, segment, which <gasps> is the thumbs up and down and an adjective. That's the name of it. Interesting. Okay. So I'm excited. I want everybody. Is, is that all the rules? So we yes, use one you, adjective you and use, thumbs up or down. Yes. One Ooh. adjective to describe how you feel about this book. And whether you give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, there is no middle thumb. Wow. No okay. decimals. There's no angles right. or sideways, up or down, this is binary. and an adjective. But, okay? <laughs> but, you, <laughs> but your adjective. Yeah. That's where. Okay, who goes first? Oh boy. <laughs> well, I, I feel like we should all do it at the same time, and then and then say and then. But what if? I, I want to do it separately though. But then that might like it won't. No, it won't. It, it might color. I, it, I promise it, it will bias. not color my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of you will ever bias my perspective <laughs> on a book like this. I promise. Um. So here's the funny thing. I haven't thought of an adjective yet. Okay. Do you want me to go? <laughs> yeah, you go first. Okay. I am going to award this a long-winded thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, hang on, let me... uh, I think... uh, I think it is thumbs up for me and the adjective is dense. Okay. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay, nice. <laughs> if you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> I really liked yours. That was, I like I liked yours, Dan. Thank you. Yes. They're both good. Good adjectives. Wait, summer. Think. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm also thumbs up. Um, but. But <laughs> my adjective would be angsty, teenage angsty. Is that a, can I hyphenate? <laughs> sure. Angst ridden. <laughs> you could just say angsty. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. angsty. Yeah. Because if we hyphenate, you could have, you could just make like a chain right. adjective where you're like. As long as I want. This was a, not as good as I thought, but still a good, uh, right. you know. Yeah. It's a lot yeah. of hyphens. I'm going to go with angsty. Okay. Okay. So that was that segment. I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, I Agreed. appreciate it. Yeah. Thumbs up and down and an adjective. That's the name of it. And now we're going <laughs> to move on to wrong spoilers by our good friend Brock. I think uh, I think your new segment is a is a good uh, is a good opener because <laughs> then people can still download our episodes even if they didn't read the book. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. <laughs> uh, okay, so some wrong spoilers. I had fun writing some wrong spoilers for this Excellent. one. Excellent. Uh, they are going to be somewhat plosive heavy. I'm, I'm reading through uh, what I've written down, and there's a lot of P's and K's. So. <laughs> oh, good. So buckle up. Uh, Every weapon and piece of armor described is based on one Justin Call personally owns, stored in a Brandon Sanderson-style writing bunker. <laughs> I would believe it. <laughs> um, there were, hey, there were some alternate titles considered. Excellent. For Master oh, no. of Sorrows, uh, the Parkour Chronicles. <laughs> 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 There's just going to be a lot of parkour. Uh, and they like right? shouted as they jump, like in that episode of The Office. Parkour! <laughs> parkour! Parkour! Yeah, that was subtext. Uh, the next alternate title, Old Guy Ear Collector. Was a, oh, was gross. A, was a title. Was Spoiler! Um, uh, and another alternate title, this one's plosive heavy. Uh, the Punch and Kick School for Thieves and Ne'er-Do-Wells. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then the last alternate title uh, is, is in a similar vein. The Backflip School for Not Witchcraft and Never Wizardry. <laughs> oh, no. I feel like you are preempting so much of my set I love it. <laughs> oh, that's good. Those are great. I like, I like when they intertwine. Um... Okay, this, and we're not, we're not even <laughs> scratching the surface of wrong spoilers yet. <laughs> uh, this, this is based on an idea that Justin Call had one day sitting in church. Uh, what if, instead of trying to get teenager, teenagers to stop groping each other, these old people trained us to be ninja thieves? <laughs> religion in there, isn't there? Or there, there, there yeah. certainly is. Yeah, uh, oh it's not any like what. Okay, all right, continue. Uh, it, it seems unlikely that people would fall for Chain Baloo's quote "gone fishing" sign and leave the city alone. Uh, <laughs> this, this one, I, I've done some wrong spoilers in the past that are silly. Uh, this one, 
is also silly. <laughs> uh, oh boy, I'm excited. Sodar starts to say, "I'm getting too old for this," sh- and is interrupted twenty-one separate times in the following ways: <laughs> twice by a student playing a tuba, <laughs> four times by someone saying, "Sure could use some tea." <laughs> Once, because he gets hit in the mouth by a frisbee. Five separate instances of a telephone ringing. Uh, eight times by someone putting a bite of pie into his mouth. And finally, once by NF declaring, sure is cold in the shadow realm. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> That's what it's like to read this book. NF's <laughs> uh, catchphrase, go, go, gadget arm, is... If not based on a more famous phrase, likely inspired by it. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Um, a frisbee, a tuba, and a telephone all appear. Though it's possible this fantasy world developed these devices, they are probably at least anachronistic with the depicted level of technology. Uh, oh. Uh, even if it's true... It seems out of character for NF to accuse Tosan of being, quote, horny for the rules. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, no. (laughs) uh, And finally, a correction to a previous wrong spoiler. It is revealed toward toward the end of the book that one acceptable use of magic is to create tubas. Brock, that uh, was that, those were too so, good. So those, those are wrong spoilers. I see that as the book becomes longer, so too does your segment. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. We'll see how that affects your synopsis, Dan. Okay, right, this yeah. this synopsis is fifty percent longer than my previous longest synopsis. Oh boy. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Well, it is an epic fantasy. It is, yes, and we should disclaim that we actually know Justin Travis Call personally. Yes. Uh, he has we come did. to some yeah. of our game nights. He gave us a copy of this book and Brock a copy. Yes. And he wrote a nice note to me in it. So if you if I seem to be pulling my punches, that's why. Yeah. It's because <laughs> you have to see him face to face. Yeah, he's going to ask about, he's going to correct some of, I, I've made this as accurate as possible. <laughs> I believe this. We'll see. And in fact, I forwarded it to Justin to fact check the veracity of every single thing I say in this. (laughs) I haven't heard back, but but I did send it to him. He sent it to him two minutes ago. Yes. So this is this is my synopsis of Master of Sorrows. Brock, what would I call such a thing? Oh boy, I I, if if I had to guess I would say uh, maybe the Master of Sauropsis. That's very good, yes. That's what I always meant to call it. In a flashback that probably shouldn't count as a flashback because we have nothing to flashback from because this is the prologue, which means it's happening right now and everything else in the book is a flash forward or a premonition, two women take a baby into the haunted forest. We learn that the baby must die because it is missing an arm. Justin Travis Call throws some fantasy terminology at us. One, being crippled means you're a son of chaos. Unless you're a girl, then you're a son-s of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Two, women have wit in front of their name. 
Because. Mm-hmm. Three. Sure. This is the break wood because its trees break so easily. And four, the nearby town is named Chains of Baloo. In a shocking twist that we should have seen coming for the last nine sentences, one of the women stabs the other woman. She prepares to abscond with the baby. In another twist, though, an old man shows up and beats up the second woman and kills the first woman and takes the baby for himself. Weird. The trees issue an amber alert. (laughs) <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, that got me. It's good. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> Eighteen years later, Aniv is roused from sleep by old man Sodar, the priest of Chains of Blue. Sodar tells him it's the first day of Regalaeus, this world's Christmas, and that his avatar test is tomorrow. Then he makes Anna fetch well water while he practices his numbers. While fetching the water, Anna hops to increase the level of his agility skills, just like in the Elder Scrolls III Morrowind. <laughs> exactly. The old man gives Anna a hug and sends him to magic school. <laughs> Except, to clarify, the academy is an anti-magic school. They really train kids to sk- steal magic artifacts and stone magicians to death. Turns out this isn't very effective because no fewer than three of its graduates will be revealed as master-level magicians over the next four days. <laughs> <laughs> the masters of the school announce that they will award a head start on the next day's avatar test to any student who can win today's challenges. The first challenge is a race to the top of the tower. <laughs> Anna sprints up the stairs and then, in an attempt to seek a shortcut, even though it's tower and you'd think the most direct route is the stairs, <laughs> he diverts left and runs headfirst into one of the other masters. The master receives a severe concussion and vomits all over the front of Anev's shirt. His vomit-stained garments are never mentioned again, nor is the master's <laughs> concussion. <laughs> Two minutes later, Anev wins a duel on the rooftop, except he accidentally knocks one of the other trainees over the edge. Oops! Anti-magic training sure is dangerous. (laughs) With two of the day's challenges complete, Anna and the others are shepherded downstairs where the masters have suspended a bunch of curtains. (laughs) The master of unlikely tests steps forward. (laughs) Ahem! I say ahem! Today we will be testing your stealth skills. Is he a Muppet? (laughs) Remember... If you haven't hit level 25 in stealth by tomorrow, you won't be allowed to take the pickpocket perk. (laughs) Every boy is given a medal and a wand of paralysis. Whoever has the most medals at the end of the challenge will win. Anev makes a deal with his friends. Bumble, the fat one, and Suspicio, the trustworthy one. If they work together, surely they will earn the most medals. The master of unlikely tests announces a twist, although normally the Academy's girls are cloistered separately, but equally. (laughs) (laughs) Today they will be joining the test. Anev's britches tighten as he looks for (laughs) Maijan, his super-hot crush who he intends to marry, if he wins the Avatar test tomorrow. Instead of failing and becoming a castrato. (laughs) (laughs) 
Suspicio elbows him and says something crass. Anev, like all 18-year-old boys, chides his friend for his systemic misogyny. (laughs) The challenge begins, and the boys begin paralyzing each other. Bumble stuffs his wand down his britches and is immediately paralyzed from the dick down. Good thing Anev is a man of ideas. He, Bumble, and Suspicio work together to lure their rival, Meet Hedum, into a trap. (laughs) They now have a bunch of medals. Suspicio uses his level 25 stealth perk to pickpocket some of Anev's medals. (laughs) Except, whoops, the girls are trying to force the boys to lie down so they can run their hands along their bodies and undo their tunics until they find their medals. (laughs) It's a teenage boy's worst nightmare. Anna flees through the curtains and uses his best skill, backflipping, to evade the girls. He stuns one of them. Turns out it's Maijun. While she's total, while she's totally unable to move, resist, gesture, or give consent, <laughs> Anna reaches into her shirt to slip her a little something. Don't be gross, gross Brock. It's a medal. <laughs> Now that the school day has finished, Anev heads back into the village. Maijin appears and guides him into the shelter of the smithy. The blacksmith is all, uh, hi, hi kids, I'll just, I'll just go polish my tongs. <laughs> Anev's light petting skill increases to level two. <laughs> oh <my gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> Maijin bestows upon him a regaleus gift. A red glove he can wear instead of the beat-up glove he always wears on his left hand. Bet you didn't know he was wearing a glove. Here's why. Anev is the baby from the prologue. His arm is a magic prosthetic. And he wears a magic glove to hide the prosthetic's magicness from the magic hunters of the academy. Because they only care about magic prosthetics, not magic gloves. Double magic. (laughs) Yes. Out of nowhere, my all. I'm glad you're not a cripple. (laughs) She bats her eyelashes like it's sexy to talk about how people aren't cripples. If you were, I'd hate you. Anev's all, what about face burn? That boy in our reap with a burn on his face. Maijin's all, ew, burns. Burns almost make you a son of chaos. It's better than being a cripple, or dark-skinned, or Jewish, or within three generations of Irish. (laughs) But it's still pretty bad to have a scar, like that disgusting blacksmith with his dirty scars who let us do some light petting on top of his anvil. I wish he would die. (laughs) Anev shakes his head as Maijin heads back to her father's house. He wishes she had never been radicalized by the recommended videos algorithm on YouTube. (laughs) All of a sudden, Meat Headham rounds the corner with a gang of boys. Their light petting skills are still at level one, and out of jealousy, they're spoiling for a fight. (laughs) Anna backflips off a nearby house. (laughs) That does nothing, and Meat Headham grabs him and snaps his wrist until the bone protrudes. Anna heads back to the chapel to see old man Sodar and requests a magic healing that nobody will notice at the <laughs> magic hunting school. Right. Except upon returning to the chapel, old man Sodar is missing. 
Anev walks into the haunted forest and comes across the old priest talking with a mysterious visitor. I don't remember what they say, but it's enough to sow the seeds of distrust between Anev and the only guy in Chains of Baloo who doesn't want to stone him to death for only having one arm. <laughs> when Sodar returns to the chapel, he heals Anev's wrist. Then, because in a day that started with a well-water race, classroom instruction, another race to the tower, getting vomited on, dueling a stealth battle, a light petting session, a gang battle, and forest spying, why not some sparring? <laughs> <laughs> they head into the shed, where Justin Travis Call shows off that he knows a lot of synonyms for sword. <laughs> <laughs> Sodar badgers Anna into using a magic sword, even though Anna isn't interested in potent magic that would make him more powerful than everyone else. You know, like all 18-year-old boys. <laughs> Despite his hesitancy, Anna Mary sues his magic and unexpectedly takes a single swing of the magic sword that cuts through the table, carpet, stone floor, five wardrobe, nine sacks of flour, and the annoying neighbor they never liked anyway. <laughs> Whoa, sa says Anna. <laughs> His conjuration skill jumps from level 0 to 45 all at once thanks to the hidden backstory perk. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, Anna goes to the Avatar test. Bumble and Suspicio are there, and they agree to work together, even though the rules say only one person is allowed to win. For some reason, previous winners are also allowed into the test, so Meatheadum and Faceburn are also there. The master of unlikely tests appears to reveal his latest contraption. A rotating tower 50 stories high, a swimming pool of fetid muck below, a hallway of swinging weapons and other assorted buzzsaws, <laughs> and a secret passageway to the finish line. Also molten lava, I think. I can't picture it without it. <laughs> The master of unlikely tests shouts go, and all the boys head into the maze. Anev, Bumble, and Suspicio climb the tower, where they're hassled by Meatheadum and Faceburn. They dodge the mean boys' insults and run down the chute of hazards. They shout their moves in advance. Duck! Dodge! Slide! Black flip! Crash Bandicoot runs past flipping the bird. <laughs> At last, the three boys emerge from the chute, except it somehow deposits them back where they started 50 stories below. Anna realizes the test was a trick. The real finish line was the friends they made along the way. <laughs> Bumble points out there's also a trapdoor. They go through and it's the final chamber. <laughs> the headmaster of the school, Elder Tosan, tells them that only one can win. Bumble and Anna demand to win together or not at all but trustworthy Suspicio betrays Anev <laughs> once again. He's given the promotion to Avatar. Oh no, who could have seen it coming? Anev is depressed, especially when he and Bumble are ordered to report to the castration chamber. <laughs> Bumble's all, it's fine, Anev. We can have no balls together. Just two boys, no balls. Two boys, no balls, like the cool kids say. <laughs> Anev is saved when Elder Tosan summons him to his chambers. Elder Tosan is all, There may be a way yet for ye to enter into the hallowed avatar ranks of Chains of Baloo. I will give ye a choice of side quest, 
to be completed by morn tomorrow. Either you shall slay 60 rats in the pantry, <laughs> deliver this letter to the opposite side of the map with a bugged quest marker, clean out the castration chamber of chains of blue oysters, <laughs> oh, boy. or kill some local merchant and bring me his ears. Anna chooses the ears thing. He heads to the edge of town to meet the merchant and kill him. The merchant introduces himself as Craghole. <laughs> <laughs> to Anav's surprise, Craghole says he doesn't want to die. Instead, he offers to lead Anav into the haunted forest to kill a witch and use her ears instead. Anav recognizes a quest chain when he sees one, so he and Craghole go into the forest. A wild witch appears, plus three fire hogs, which are neither hogs nor on fire. <laughs> The witches all, descended by gods, yet sired by man. Seven seek to lead him, seven dread his hand. Bonded by the ageless, the ancient breaks his path. The crippled king guides him, the world fears his wrath. I really wish everyone could see Dan's face right then. It's spectacular. <laughs> For some reason, Anna can hear that all the third person pronouns are capitalized. <laughs> So he and Craghole battle the witch and their fire hogs. While they're doing that, I flip to the map at the front of the book to get my bearings. None of the words I know are on the map, including Chains of Baloo Village. And the map of the Academy is a mess of non-Euclidean geometry. <laughs> at least that explains how the testing chamber contained a tower with its foot and its pinnacle occupying the same space. <laughs> I turn back to the action. <laughs> Anna and Craghole beat the witch. And Anna chops off her ears while Craghole looks dis disgusted. <laughs> they part ways as unlikely friends, and Anna runs back home to Old Man Sodar. Because of Anna's encounter with the witch, Sodar spills the beans about Anna's hidden backstory perk. Anna is a prophesied super magician who will end the world or something. <laughs> like all 18 year old boys, Anna insists that nothing is special or unique about himself. <laughs> Sodar then breaks the news that they need to flee Chains of Blue after that's night after that night's Regaleus sermon. I remember that it's Regaleus. <laughs> I keep forgetting, probably because I still don't know what Regaleus is. <laughs> but it keeps coming up, sort of like the Christmas tree in the background of Die Hard to remind you it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> Anna's all I'm not going to run away and leave my bigoted girlfriend. <laughs> Sodar's all when I was a whelp ten million years ago, we knew when to hit it and quit it. <laughs> <laughs> Anna ignores the ten million years ago part of Sodar's statement and goes, Don't be gross, old man. Majin and I have something real. I love how she makes me feel. How she makes me level up my light petting skills. <laughs> how she talks about the downsides of interbreeding with Laplanders. Oh my god. <laughs> Sodar's all, you young people with your trendy eugenics. They both fall silent. <laughs> Sodar has gone too far. <laughs> Anna storms out, more determined than ever to become an avatar. I turn to Justin Travis Call and ask, wouldn't it make more sense for the Sons of Chaos to be avatars since they're adopting the form of something like a possession? What are the Academy's avatars supposed to be avatars of? 
They don't seem to be inhabited by anything. Justin Travis Call presses his finger to my lips and t- <laughs> taps the page, reminding me that I'm only halfway done with his book. <laughs> and the synopsis, or are you more done with No, I'm, I'm two-thirds done with the synopsis. Okay. <laughs> Back in Elder Tosan's chambers, Elder Tosan reveals that because Anne have completed a mission and recovered a magical artifact, I think it's the witch's ears, he's being promoted to Avatar and Master of Sorrows. <laughs> that explains the name of the book, but it, not what the job is. But. <laughs> it's kind of like being promoted to the Master of the Assassin's Guild in Skyrim because of the people you incidentally killed on, on your way there. <laughs> Anne is too jazzed to ask what the catch is. But Elder Tosan tells him anyway. He's all, but before you celebrate, another mission I have for ye. He calls in Meathead and Faceburn. They all cringe at each other. In yonder town of Lakura reside an old merchant by name of Jack. Ye are to take from him ye olde wand of mind control. <laughs> also are ye to murder ye olde master of sword stuff, who was sent to recover ye olde ma- the older wand of mind control before ye were. <laughs> <laughs> Anne of Meathead and Faceburn prepare to go to Lakura. Mm-hmm. A bunch of stuff happens. It's very gripping. Meathead refuses to gather torches. <laughs> Faceburn reveals that he banged Anne's girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> but they all realize that teamwork is good. You've got to let bygones be got bygones. Reluctant friendships are forged. You get the gist. <laughs> <laughs> In Laquora, Anavim. Blah, 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 blah. These words. <laughs> In Laquora, Anav and his frenemies backflip their way into the town. <laughs> then they backflip into Janik's estate. Do they level up on their backflips? No, they're, they're level 100 by now. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's maxed. A shadow stalks them. Keep this in mind. The book tells you like 10 times a shadow. Turns out Janik was waiting for them. As the three boys walk toward him, he monologues about his childhood. How he came to be confined in a wheelchair, how he traded artifacts from the (laughs) Academy's vault to return the use of his legs, and more importantly, Summer, what's between them? (laughs) He tells them who his black market contacts are, how older Tosan is a corrupt old geezer, you know, the villain stuff. After about 40 minutes, he uses his wand of mind control to make endless hordes of guards rush into the office. After battling four waves of creeps, Anav remembers what every tactical RPG player knows instinctively. <laughs> Gun for the mind controller. <laughs> Without warning, the office apparently transforms into an Olympic sprint track. Janik retreats in a wheelchair as fast as Anav and his companions can keep up, even though they were standing next to him like ten seconds ago. <laughs> Their mind-controlled master of sword stuff appears, but they lock him to the wall with convenient chains that are also a feature of Janik's office. <laughs> right as they kill Janik, a shadow bursts in. A girl shadow. She nabs the wand and wrestles with the boys, eventually locking Anna's arm prosthetic to the floor with one of the chains. As Meathedem chases the girl shadow, Faceburn reveals that he also knows magic and sets fire to the office so Anna will die. The flames engulf Janik's Olympic Park, prompting Anav to take stock of his life choices. How did it come to this? I guess I should have increased my lateral problem-solving skills. <laughs> Instead of dumping everything into backflips, light petting, and angst, 
<laughs> he remembers all at once. He remembers he can detach his arm. He now runs away, one-armed. As he heads back to Chains of Blue, he's chased by another shadow, but this one is a boy shadow, so I guess there were two shadows. <laughs> yeah. Because he doesn't want to be stoned to death, Anov decides to sneak into the Academy Vault to steal a new magical prosthetic. He sneaks into the dungeon, and uh, Maijin is there. Huh. Apparently she finds dungeons peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> Anov's all, hey babe, can you take me to the vault? I hear there's um, some really great ways to torture minorities in there. <laughs> 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 Maijin's all, you betcha, there are. <laughs> Maijin shows him to the vault, which is opened with a crossword puzzle. When they get inside, Anna reveals his missing arm before she leaves. Maijin screams at the sight of his filthy, dirty, miscegenated stump and wallops him in the face with a lantern. Anna's facial endurance skill ticks from level 1 to level 2. <laughs> when he wakes up, he's in a dungeon below the dungeon. Fortunately, Elder Tosan and Faceburn show up to taunt him. At that instant, an entire army of fire hogs attack Chains of Baloo. Elder Tosan heads off to deal with it, while Anna tricks Faceburn by smacking him in the head and leaving him in the dungeon. He enters the vault, where he equips himself with boots of plus nine swiftness, a shirt of mucho healing, a shield of adhering to stump arms, and a, and a flamberge of plus two fire and plus three thousand punniness. He glances down at some trousers of prima nocta. <laughs> they say his level is too low. He stuffs them into his rucksack for later. <laughs> Properly equipped, Anav heads up and joins the battle, aiding his old friends Bumble and Suspicio, as well as his new frenemy Meatheadum. They battle all the firehogs and save old man Sodor by hollering numbers. <laughs> they clash with a firehog with a high initiative rating, and the firehog throws a handful of cocaine at them. <laughs> Despite his days, Anna clashes with the Firehawk, giving Bumble an opening to throw a dagger at the monster's dick. Whoa! <laughs> it says that. It? Yeah. The gore is so visceral that I close the book and take a five-minute breather before I continue. <laughs> a mini-boss appears. His name is Oiru, an assassin of chaos, and also the shadow from earlier, but the boy shadow, not the girl shadow. <laughs> the assassin closes his eyes and waits. Bumble's all, is he meditating for battle? Old man Seldar's all, no, he's giving us time to finally tell the reader what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> but before he can explain, Oiru opens his eyes and attacks. At first, his assault is unblockable, but Anav learns his patterns and wins. <laughs> Meet Hedim's all, wait, that was the mini-boss? Who's the real boss? Turns out it's bigotry. <laughs> Elder Tosan and Maijin appear Maijin's all Daddy, kill my crippled boyfriend Oh yeah, Elder Tosan is her dad I forgot to say that <laughs> Right Anyway, Elder Tosan uses his surprise magic To disintegrate old man Sodar For sheltering a cripple Yikes Anav panics, which results in him entering magic puberty. <laughs> he puts on a literal arm of chaos, reflects Tosan's magic, and burns all the bigots, and plunges Maijin into actual hell. <laughs> it's like a medieval regalaeus miracle. <laughs> 
a miracle except the entire academy and town of and hundreds of children are dead. But oh well. Anna, Bumble, Suspicio, Meatheadum, and that blacksmith guy all head off to a brighter future. Meanwhile, down in hell, the shadow assassin recruits Maijin into his bigot army. The end. Oh boy. That's a really good synopsis, Dan. Ooh, that you. was. Thank you. I, uh, that was a ride. I hope I got everything. <laughs> it it I feels it like does. I did. I think so. Yeah, oh, that you. was like running a half marathon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's let's move on here. I've got some bad takes. They were actually pretty tricky to find. Most people who have read this book rate it very highly. But I found a few... Well, can't, those can be bad takes, too. Yes, I understand. Oh, okay. I understand. It's like we always use, like, dumb people. No, that's not honey. Honey pants, that is not true. Oh, okay. Okay. These are all from Goodreads. All of the uh, ones on Amazon are... There's, like, four reviews on Amazon. So you have to go to Goodreads to, get, to look at reviews. Uh, this first one is from Bridget. She gave it two stars, um, and she says, <clears throat> After watching the season finale of The Bachelor, and Richie chose Alex instead of Nikki, who is obviously the better, more genuine person, my mom wisely said to me, men think with their dicks. And I think this perfectly <laughs> encapsulates Aniv, who is obsessed with this chick for no reason. They have nothing in common, no chemistry, yet they're in love... <laughs> Furthermore, she seems to be two-dimensional and a dumbass who repeats anything she hears from her father. Um, therefore, this seems to be another case of male authors portraying female characters in a way that fits the dumb blonde stereotype. Yeah. How do we feel about that? I, I mean, I yeah, I, I definitely felt that way about my gin. See, I feel like, the opposite. I want to hear Brock parse okay. that. I, I did feel like, like she was a she, she was a character without much depth. Uh, I felt like. Isn't she supposed the, to though? She's a teenager. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that, is, that is the truth. I'm just kidding. Continue. Um, no, I, I I really felt like she was she served as like a a conflict point for this culture that uh, that really is distrustful of. Uh, disabled people mm -hmm. and, and and right from the beginning I was like well wait but she like, she's gonna find out and she has made her feelings known on how she, you know you'll you know how she'll feel when she finds out about your arm yeah uh, I mean I guess I, I was 18 once but, <laughs> so you know I, if I if I had earned the attentions of a pretty girl, uh, I think maybe I also would have overlooked those kinds of things. So, so I, why do you feel different? Okay, here's why I feel differently. All, this is I have two parts. The first part is, so what if she's two-dimensional? No human being actually gets their third dimension until they're 27. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you think she's written that way because she's a teenager, because they're all teenagers? Yeah, I think they're all pretty two-dimensional because they're teenagers. Yeah. It, I mean, Anav is pretty annoying yeah. and two-dimensional at times. Yeah. Where he's like, let's do teamwork, guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually the, <laughs> that's actually this next point in this review. Well, here, here I have to make my second oh, point. Oh, right. Oh, okay. 
Brock, I want to ask you a question. Okay. If you could solve racism, I would. I definitely and would. And sexism, would you do that too? Yeah, both. If you could solve both of those, but only by amping up ableism. Oh goodness! <laughs> so that like Lousers. all genders, all races, <laughs> hand in hand, and they hate people with stump limbs, <laughs> oh, my or goodness. like a missing eye, or like a missing missile in their tongue, muscle in their tongue, so they speak weird. Would you do right. it? What's the greater? Wow, uh, I mean that is a two for one, which that seems obvious, <laughs> oh, right? Oh no! <laughs> you solve two, <laughs> you give up one. To me, Maijin is the encapsulation of this. What an awful question. She does not care about race, nor creed, nor color. She only cares if you've got a burn. She does <laughs> An care unsightly about burn. <laughs> wow, interesting. Yeah. That's a tough question. Just saying, you yeah, got to break some eggs, right. and then you'll hate the broken eggs, but you'll be cool with the brown eggs, the white yeah. eggs. <laughs> you'll allow them both to be in your fridge. <laughs> Uh, I'm just kidding. She was an idiot. Okay. <laughs> Don't at me. This, <laughs> this next part of the review made me laugh. Okay, so sh this Bridget person says, Okay, the other problem I have with an, with Anev is how, how, how is he so nice? That was a really bad way to write that. But the thing is, the blurb of the book is all like, This is Anev, a guy who wants to become an avatar more than anything else in the story, and he'll let nothing get in his way from reaching his dreams. But in reality, Anev keeps passing off the opportunity to become an avatar because he's all like, friendship, teamwork, wow, I'm so nice. Not murdering a <laughs> merchant in the woods. <laughs> I get the life lesson of teamwork that the author's trying to teach his readers, but real talk, it is so cringy. OMG, it needs to stop. <laughs> <laughs> what do we think? I agree. <laughs> do, yeah, do we think there's some Mary Sue happening? Well, I mean, he, he, he explicitly marries Zeus with his magic powers. He's mm -hmm. been actively like, I refuse to practice this stuff. Yeah. And then, like, he suddenly plays, like, a concerto of yeah. magic. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. I, which is fine, you know, which is fine. You can, I, I don't really care much about marrying Suism. Um, no, I, I, yes, I, I don't think that that is inherently a, a uh, nail in the coffin. So but I do think there's a clash between what it said the story was and what it was. Mm. <laughs> like, Anev is totally willing to sacrifice even his greatest desires for the people he cares about, which I think is honorable. I, I don't dislike that about him. I think it's a little schlocky. But, you know, a, as for a person, I think it speaks a lot uh, about him and about uh, Sodar raising him, that this guy who's supposed to, like, end the universe, you know, has been brought up to value people, and yeah, that's all right. great. Um what I was expecting when I went in was that, like, no, he will stop at nothing to be an avatar. And I was thinking I was going into, like, some grim dark, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. the blade itself, you know, where, like, all the characters are self-motivated type thing. And and he's not self-motivated, like, at all. No. Except when it comes to Sodar, but that's pretty much because he's like, no, I like making out. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried this. And now I like it. <clears throat> what do you think, Summer? Um, about him being so cringeworthy. Yeah. Being too good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder if like this book was kind of a setup for it to. I mean, hopefully, to be in the next book that 
he's going to kind of backlash from that and be like super evil. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. Or at least be tempted by it. Like this one. More tempted. Like when, yeah, he, when, sure. when he hung out with his, with his enemies and he's like, no, I've got to make this work. I've got to figure out a way to like get along with these dudes. And I was like, wow. Yeah, why? Like, <laughs> these guys are awful. Yeah. Yeah, I... Um, so I don't know if that's really an issue with the book. The next re the next review that I put in my thing to bring up is someone that's complaining that, that the character is a teenager, basically. Because he's mm -hmm. like, he rejects the cautions of his mentor, he wants to be a master, even though they'll literally stone him to death, that they find out he has a magic prosthetic arm, he wants to marry a girl who hates cripples, and is surprised when she's disgusted by him. Hang it's kind of like, this is a teenager. You're telling me this teenager lacks foresight yeah. and has problems with authority? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's kind of like an obvious... He's naive. He's supposed to be naive. Yeah. This is like this is like the most major lesson he's probably ever going to learn. I had no problem when he acted like a teenager in that he didn't want to listen to people. Mm -hmm. um, he thought he could get around, like find a loophole and still win. It's like, yeah, mm, yeah, yeah life doesn't was, work like that. He was acting like a teenager, and that's fair play. I think it's I think it's always cute when like every single fantasy teenager is like, no, I don't want a destiny. <laughs> right. I'm like, what 18-year-old boy wouldn't be like, you mean I'm going to be like the god of this universe? Sounds great. Do well, I control the ladies? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and just then genetics. And then the last uh, the last review I put in my notes here was complaining that this novel had useless fighting. But I really, I thought the fighting made the book go a little bit faster than most of the <laughs> rest of the book. <laughs> this Yeah, I thought, this and I thought the, uh, the sort of stealth chapel scene with like the curtains, I thought that was really interesting. Pretty well done. It was very different. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. I, I, thought it, I thought it was. Lines. I thought it was weird that the that someone was complaining for action for that about the action. They're like, if this novel had thirty percent less useless fighting, it would have been much better. And I'm like, mm. huh? It kind of moved the story along more. I felt. Yeah, I liked the action scenes. I kind of, I'm super picky about what the way action scenes are written. Mm -hmm. Like it felt really uh, technical. Yeah. Like there were times when it would be like. Anav grabs his left calf two inches below the knee <laughs> and pulls with right. 400 torque jewels. It, it was just so detailed. that, I, And sometimes he, he would do things like a backflip. And um, I'd be like, what, where did that... Like, even in the uh, stealth section where they, they like climb up the curtains, mm -hmm. I was like, the curtains can support this? <laughs> like all these eighteen-year-old boys, they're not little kids. Yeah. It's hard climbing curtains, right? And it's hard not to picture them as little kids when they're all like off the curtains. Yeah, like monkeys. <laughs> and then they're doing backflips off the curtains, and I was See, like, I, "Why? Why are you doing?" I was just imagining uh, that, like Cirque du Soleil. Uh, yeah, sure. I had that they, in my head too. Where they like where they hang from twist those. a curtain around themselves. Yeah, yeah. And then you're like, "Why am I aroused?" <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly. I have that written in the margins. Yeah. Uh, no, but what you say about the, there were times, yeah, when the combat felt kind of uh, procedural um, rather than it, it could have, I think, st stood to be a little more messy. Yeah. Uh, 
but by and large, I liked the, the reaction scenes. I mm-hmm. one of the things that Summer and I made fun of is that like his first day really has like ten activities that any yeah, one of packed. them would just leave you exhausted. Yeah. Right. And I understand that he's had, you know, peak physical training and all that for his whole life, but I was but like, yeah, I mean, what a bummer of a day. Just just that that stealth scene with the curtains, that would be extraordinary di- extraordinarily difficult yeah. and draining climbing and jumping around on those. Yeah. And I guess that brings me to the core of my complaint with that. Like I, I liked it overall. But with, with that stuff, it felt impactless. Like, he gets barfed on. And it even yeah, says, like, his clothes have barf on it. Right. And then it's kind of toothless. Right. And then no one's ever like, why do you smell like barf? Like, he goes and makes out with a girl. Yeah, right. and she's not like, why do you smell like vomit? Because <laughs> it, it could, I mean, it, that could have been an impediment there, but also, like, well, now he stinks and he has to go hide in this, you know, in, in this other challenge. And, like, right. you know, it could have affected that. Right. Like, they're like... Okay, time for your seduction challenge. And he's like, "Oh no, I have barf on me." <laughs> no. Well, the same thing. Like with with all their, like they would do all this stuff, and he never seemed to get fatigued. To me, it was mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. Is that like, there was no wear and tear on the character. Um, like he'd have this big fight, and then he'd be like, "All right, I'm just gonna go have my wrist healed." But yeah, other than con- that, like he conveniently has a mentor that can heal his wrist. Yeah, it just seemed a little. It seemed like. It, it was just a clash. Like, it seemed like Call wanted to put in fight scenes that were impactful. Like, like when he ran, when he goes smack into the, the master, and the master's, like, vomiting, which I'm going concussion. Um, you know, I'm going, like... Not hungover. Well, maybe that. But, like, there's... But, well, it says, it like, his head, like, sickeningly smacks the stones or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but he wants to have impact. Right, and so so the fight scenes tend to be very crunchy. People get hurt or killed in them, but Anna just seems to be kind of like, nah, I'm good. Like even yeah. with my wrist broken, I'm just gonna like go climb a tree and watch my. Well, right. no, he was no, he complained for a little while about his wrist. No, but he still goes and like climbs a tree to listen to Sodar. Yeah. yeah. Didn't he climb a tree? Yeah, I think so. Maybe that's or maybe, just what I'm picturing. Maybe he hid behind a tree or something. Yeah, yeah, I I I, I think you're right. It's a, like a little toothless a little consequenceless um when those are the kinds of things that that really uh endear us to characters you know seeing a character overcome a setback like that um or or persevere in the face of you know being in extreme physical pain or um you know those are things that that we you know we like to see we like to see our like, heroes like when overcome he, like when he um had to get sodar out of the well one armed and he had to count to make sure he got him out uh-huh. yeah oh, right that's a good example okay <laughs> there were a couple scenes that made me cringe that was one where instead of just cranking up sodar he's like one <laughs> two three and like, because that wouldn't call any attention to yourself. I know. Those, right. His friends monsters. are like, his friends are like nearby, like, dude, stop. That's embarrassing. Hey, Even in a fight. <laughs> Do you need some help? No, I got this. Five. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do this on my own. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, Brock. What other discussion points would you like to bring up? Now that, uh, now that we've just sounded like we hate this story. Right. Hey, we all gave it a thumbs up. <laughs> yes. Maybe we should say something nice about it. Uh, I I do think that 
yeah, I think the action scenes in a lot of cases were well written. Um, I think that the that Justin Call clearly has thought a lot about his world. Um, I wish we had seen more of it. Yes. Um, yeah, we basically I, saw two places in four days. Yeah, this is true. Um, so what uh, what what did you think of the religious society that was depicted? You know, they're they're averse to magic. They're um, you know they don't don't trust uh, disabled folks. Um, you know, do, I was, do you think that I was confused? Oh, go ahead. Sarah. I was confused by it. So this religion is apparently only in this town because when they go to the other town where Janik is like there's some dude that has a limp leg that's just totally normal to the pers- to the people that are there mm-hmm. so it's just this village and and then apparently Sodar is like a priest of this religion but he's also a priest or whatever some mega dude of a of the sons of Kios religion and I was just confused by like what is he actually trying to do like I was just confused by it all and then of course yeah. and then of course he dies because of course that's what happens because he's so, the old mentor yeah, yeah he's the old mentor and, and we never get the full story yeah it reminds me of the first hour of every fable game <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I, I think that's a good point that like you know, we have this sort of insular city, but it's n- but the you know they are serving. Kind of seems like only their own uh, agenda. You know, they're not serving a larger uh, a larger church organization by finding and destroying magical artifacts, or, or I guess finding and keeping magical artifacts. I was like. I- so, so my background is in religious history. So I'm always so whenever there's a religion in a book, like that's one of the first things I like zoom in on uh-huh. is does this seem like it's a functioning theology? And um, I I felt like the book just didn't give us an, enough information to decide either way. Um, so this is the first in an epic series. I I imagine that now they're going to go into the broader world. They're not just going to stay in this forest. Right. In such a small town that it's literally not on the world map that the book gives you. Yeah. Um, you know, I hopefully they'll go out and they'll explore more of, like, so how, like, because it raised questions for me. And none of them are unanswerable. Like, for instance, who would fight for this religion? And here's why. Um, so, you know, like, Christianity and Islam have, have called holy wars before. Uh, most religions have some history with holy wars. So... But it, but in these holy wars, you know, in a battle, people get maimed, and and right. you, you get amputations, and you get your face scarred and stuff like that. Who would fight for a religion where, like, even if you survive, there's a high chance mm-hmm. that you are now going to be shamed by the religion because they don't like anybody who has any form of disfigurement. Now, here's the thing: I could see a way that that could still work. You know, like maybe they say. Well, you were protected by God, man. You know, anyone right. who was disfigured is inherently sinful, or or whatever. But I got no, 
but we just didn't even see how it would be a functioning theology. Mm -hmm. Like, how does a religion like this have adherence? Well, how does it not die out? Also, yeah. yeah also, because um, they don't like magic, and apparently they don't use magic except for the academy does. You know, they've got those wands of paralysis and Elder Tosan's like secretly learning magic and stuff. Yeah. And except for that, you know, they don't use magic if they like go to battle or go to war and it's like, well, how do they, how do they survive? Right, like. Yeah, in the face of more powerful uh, right. societies who well, are like, willing to use magic. Well, there's like, um, like in Dragon Age, for instance, there's Templars and their whole thing is that they're anti-magic. But the way they do that is they actually have, like, shackled mages who make them magic-nullifying magic, basically. Uh So they don't themselves use magic, but they'll carry enchanted weapons and armor that absorb and block and redirect magic. Mm -hmm. And so I was was wondering about that. And none of this is a criticism. It's just a, and I hope the second book, like, actually explores it. um, Because this book raised the questions without really... See, I mean, then again, maybe this religion is now dead because that town is now like totally well, I mean, decimated. Well, it can't be because Sodar is like a priest, and they mention traveling priests and. But he was, a, but he's different than like the than like the religion that he was preaching in the town. Yeah, but they don't know that. Like, they still re- It hints that there is a wider world. Like when he's talking about like manuscript translation, mm-hmm. at least that implies that there are people who know there are manuscripts and translate there's a language there's some yeah. level of scholarship occurring mm-hmm. even if it's kind of unorthodox mm-hmm. yeah what did what did you think of speaking of that what did you think of this the sections of this book that were essentially scriptural <laughs> about the gods yeah that were i mean that were full-on like it came to pass uh they sounded a lot like the book of mormon <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> I even I even had in my notes, is this the Book of Mormon? It seems a lot like the Book of Mormon. Like a lot of the verbal tags that are in the Book of Mormon were in there, like a lot of verilies and it came to pass and uh-huh. like things that aren't in um like New Testament or Old Testament in that volume. Right. Appeared in that volume and very densely. Yeah. Which again isn't a complaint. It's just it was hard right. not to notice as a Mormon. <laughs> Right, exactly. I'm familiar. Uh, What did you think of them, Brock? I want to hear your answer. I I mean, I had a... I had a hard time considering them important to to my reading of the the book. Uh, You know, I I just... I, I wasn't sure how they were... how they were relevant or, or where they were going to tie into to Anev's uh, uh, heavy petting sessions, you know, like, yeah. what's, what's, uh, what am I getting out? You know, what am I getting out of these? It would have been interesting if it, if it had been uh, included, but also uh, annotated by one of the characters. I think that could have been interesting. Oh yeah, like have a Sodar writing marginalia. Yeah. yeah. I think that, and that could have been really that would have been interesting. So here, so it was like his translations. Yeah, but yeah. Not, but he didn't like have any notes on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would have been cool. Well, were we getting like the secret history or the known history? That was that I didn't know either. Yeah, I, maybe I missed like a 
you know, an author where it says like this was written by so and so branded a heretic. <laughs> so, right. so here's here here's how it felt to me is so this story felt like a Christmas story, but a Christmas story that's not really a Christmas story, like Die Hard, <laughs> like a story set on Christmas. Okay. And so these interjections, basically, of the Regalius story. Mm -hmm. would be like watching Die Hard and then every 20 minutes it breaks to show you the nativity story. There's <laughs> <laughs> a snippet of Luke 2. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I, he wants... It's an epic fantasy, and this is not a genre I read. Yeah. Um, epic fantasy honestly bores me. Um, <laughs> I have never... I, I always, like, read the first book in one of those Robert Jordan, you know, so-and-so... 20 mm -hmm. volume monstrosities I might make it like 10 chapters in before I just do not care anymore yeah um, so so I'm I'm punching into the wrong division here uh, but it feels it feels like he won't, he wanted to do two things that maybe um, it'll depend on the second book right he wants right. to tell this origin story about this boy who now has no guidance it's clear there's like warring cabals and now mm -hmm. his contact with apparently the good cabal has been cut off. Um, so he wants this origin story. And he also wants to establish, like, the cosmology of this world. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those are at odds. Yeah. But I yeah, mean, the, the, but not, the scope of things. But not badly, you know. Yeah. Um, I, think it, I think it definitely requires some, some effort to tie those things together to make to make us care about so both okay so now i'm thinking of why do people give regalaeus gifts sorry like it says like it was part it was like part of the gods thing like they I gave know, it, but the they gods were like, gave each other a gift right about mischief but they were right. like don't trust a regalaeus gift and then people are still giving regalaeus gifts you'd think it would be I like think it was only the don't give gifts on regalaeus it was only the girlfriend but it, but there was like an adage that was like mischief. Great mischief comes with gifts or something yeah. like that. Maybe maybe, Majin meant like sexy mischief. <laughs> oh, maybe yeah. She was being coy. Maybe so. Sorry, what were you saying? Well, so I was gonna. So while we were ta while you were talking about that, I was. It made me think of um, N.K. Jemisin, and when we have, when we were reading those books, she would have excerpts of really long time ago and it was and it was like the crystal people remember the mm -hmm. and it was way confusing and you're like how in the world is this going to tie in and it really wasn't until the third book that a lot of it made sense yeah so i'm wondering if maybe it'll be like that because we're just getting yeah. the first snippet of it I think so. I agree and with you. And, and probably it'll probably right. be more explained later. Hopefully, I, right. And that's know. why I say it's not necessarily a problem. Yeah. But it's contingent on what comes next. Um, right. At yeah. the same time, like the fifth season, when you finish it, it feels like all the mysteries are part of a concrete whole. Like even though you can't see how, you can see the way that they might like fit together mm -hmm. and it's just it, it's a it's an unfair book almost to compare it to because it's done so masterfully mm -hmm. by an author who is clearly at like her apex yeah um versus someone who's who this is this is justin call's first book um you know i think i think it's natural that it's not quite as fluid 
Yeah. You know, N.K. Jemison won three Hugos in three years <laughs> <laughs> right. for this for that yes. trilogy. You're right. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's a, a very un- unfair comparison. But I, I mean, no, you know, I, I'm not it, saying I that as bad on like, you. I brought it up like. No, I'm not. I think that's a good comparison. I just think that we need to keep in mind that like, it's a first book, not a. N.K. Jemison is such a good writer. Yeah. Um, well, and that's not her first trilogy either. Oh no, so. not at all. She's quite practiced. Um, so I'll, I would be interesting to. S- I would be interested to hear uh, what comes next. I don't know if I want to read the next book. Do you guys want to read the next book? I might have to see how long it is. Yeah, we'll have to see. <laughs> it would. It would. Um, if I did, it would basically be the first epic fantasy set of books that I would read because I don't. I don't. I also don't read epic fantasies. So what? Well, you've read Patrick I, Rothfuss Kvothe books. Okay, but that's two books. Why, he, well, he hasn't finished. There's going, there's going to be yeah. at least one more. What a liar! If, yeah, if he finishes. <laughs> so my, so my question, my question is, what makes this epic fantasy, uh, it, well, is uh, uh, the Broken Earth trilogy is that epic fantasy? I don't think so, personally. See, when I think epic fantasy, I think like ten volumes. <laughs> okay. Like those kind of books, like those kind of sets of books. It's like it's a huge, long, epic. Like so, you know, you know how I am, Brock. I read books to get meaning, right, out of right. them. Like I, I'm looking for books that are about something. Mm-hmm. I don't read books to blow off steam. I I read books to take it in. I think I've said that yeah. before. Yes, to acquire steam. And um, <laughs> and so N. N. K. Jemison's trilogy is a is basically about like racism and bigotry and this one could be too i just i just right. don't know in how much depth it, it's hard to tell um yeah i don't know I how just, much more i don't know how much more of that that'll be an issue because now he has a mega chaos arm that seems rather yeah. permanent that's true the chaos arm that is true um the arm of Keo. i don't know a, i seems i think fixed. i i think i disagree i think i think broken earth trilogy is epic fantasy I think it mm. it explores the same, uh, you know, it, it has enormous scope and uh, it spans thousands of years. And um, I I think that, but I think that it is an exceptional, an exceptionally well written epic fantasy. Well, it kind of defies description because it's also like a post-apocalyptic it novel. And it's, yes, because there and it's I a sociological a novel. Yeah, I think there definitely is a case to say this is it. You know that it's a also a you know far future yeah uh, story. I mean, so I guess some of it is I don't know how you define epic fantasy. Like I, yeah, like like to me is epic fantasy like okay to me part of epic fantasy is that you don't no one has a sword, right? They have they have a flamberge. Okay. <laughs> or, or a halberd, or like their boots are like, like, you don't wear a shirt, you wear like a gambeson. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, or you a brigandine. A, a, you, you slip the tunic over your head okay. and, and right. like fasten the neck. Here's what Gugal says: High fantasy or epic fantasy is a subgenre of fantasy defined either by the epic nature of its setting or by the epic stature of its characters, themes, or plot. Well, that can be anything. Pretty generic. That's oh yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, by that standard, I agree with Brock, one hundred percent. And I and I think that the yeah, I think the failing is in the 
the definition and just the broadness of that term. Right. Um, so, uh, so you know, speaking of going on into into multiple books in this series, did this book seem like it was extraordinarily dense? I mean, I said that. Yeah, <laughs> that was uh, your thumb up. I adjective. I didn't consider it dense. I considered it mildly unedited. Okay. Um, when I think of a book that is dense, I think Little Big. That is a dense, thick fantasy book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've not read that. Yes. Or science fiction by Peter Watts, where like you can't go a paragraph without some transhumanist idea being thrown <laughs> in your face. But I, I understand what you mean, Brock. That it just it felt big. Maybe like, maybe I don't understand. What do you mean by dense, Brock? So, uh, a lot of I mean a lot of events in quick succession. Mm. You, know, you talked about that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Being just packed, but also a lot of um, yeah, this, a lot of this ideas. And uh, I think I, I felt like there were some things that that were left unexplored. Um, th there's that scene when he's I think when he's fetching water from the well, uh, where he you know he he wanders into the forest like he's not supposed to, and he sees that pool of shadow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He, he so he cuts <laughs> his hand right. He wipes the blood onto a rock, and then he throws that rock into the pool of shadow. Wait, what? It was like a f he did? Do, do you, yeah, do you remember that? It was like a full-on incantation that he was performing, and I thought for sure, okay, so he has now tied himself to the shadow realm, and something is going to come from that. Wow, I, don't know, I totally don't remember that he cut himself. Yeah, because it was like page two. Yeah, it was real early. Like with he, a knife? It wasn't... He didn't, no, he didn't cut himself. He, I mean, it was accidental. I think oh. he, it was like some thorny branches that he grabbed, but he was bleeding and he wiped the blood on a rock. And then he and threw then the he rock in the shadow? Sort of on a lark, he threw that rock into the shadow. That seems really portentous. Yeah. I, right? <laughs> and I, I was like, I was just waiting for that to come back. And well, I'm maybe sure, it did because you know, the assassin sure was will. like, I tasted your blood in the shadow. <laughs> well, no, isn't okay. Maybe that's what called the witch, and then when he let when he let the Thoirog go, isn't that what contacted the shadow assassin? Uh, maybe I don't know. That seems like hidden story that we don't know. Well, I thought yeah, that was the progression. Maybe. Is like the witch uh, finds him because he had like left protection, and he like put his arm in the shadow. Right? He was like, "Ooh, it's tickles." <laughs> does, does he? I don't know. I thought yes, he put his I, armor I, in the shadow, or like in the shade, st stood in it or something. Yes, there there was some kind he, of interaction. He interacted um, somehow. <laughs> yeah, so the witch comes and finds him, which seems like isn't that the wood where she was made into a witch, basically? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think so. so. Like, why would she need to be called? Couldn't she just like circle the village anyway? But um, yeah. maybe it's lost to her. And I guess, um, I, I mean, I think the paradox is I don't think that, I don't think that being dense is necessarily bad because it's also not good to be sparse right. and just have long stretches where nothing happens. Right. You know, you don't want that either. Um, but I do think that uh, there there comes a point where um, you you start to lose focus maybe uh, if you're having so many things Too happen. Too many things. I, so that day felt like a 90-hour day. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I and I was wondering, I was musing to myself, like, would this have worked better if he had been like, okay, it's a week until your avatar test, and just right. broken it up more. Like yeah. the way it, the way it was written was was such a tight focus that you basically never lose time, right? Mm -hmm. There's basically no point at which it says like they broke two days lunch. later, you know. <laughs> but it, yeah. it's such time a tight focus, right? He's he's always going from one thing to another thing, and the next chapter picks up, and it means that like in retrospect, there's not many meal breaks, there's no potty breaks, right? There's no like teenage so eighteen year old boy breaks. There's like, right. there's no time. <laughs> there's no time for logistics, and which is fine. You don't want to talk about someone having to go to the privy. Right. But we uh, do talk about going to the well because it comes up again at the end of the book. When it uh -huh. does, and he mentions cleaning out the privy at the at the beginning. Right. Like, but it's such a tight focus that it feels like any chapter leaves off, the next chapter picks up like two seconds later. Um, and, and it did become a little fatiguing. I wonder if it could have been set over a week. Um, yeah. Like the first day could have been a week, basically. And then you could have had more more of a rhythm where you where you have ebbs and flows, as opposed to just sort of a high uh, high activity that is constant yeah. and sort of you you become numb to it almost. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think I I appreciate your insight there, Brock. Because because by the end of when when it said part two, I was so relieved. Yeah. Um, and then part two was like two seconds later, Anna does this, and I'm like, the day isn't even over. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Um, how is he still going? Well, and how is he still going, but unremarked upon? Yeah. Mm -hmm. His fatigue, you know. He, uh, yeah. Um. Well, I don't know. There may be a sentence in there that was like, and he was tired. I but guess I don't there remember. was, there was sort of an acknowledgement of that when he's coming back from the town. You know, from the town, yeah. and he has to drink that five-hour energy. And, uh, <laughs> oh, that's and true. And then sprint the, the whole caffeine way. drink. Yeah. Uh huh. He's like, don't drink too much of this, or you get the runs. <laughs> the runs. Like, oh, okay. The it's consequences a, so are a, dire. Yeah, it's a diuretic. It's basically coffee. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So what do we what do we think of it broadly? So we have, so we've said a lot of criticisms, and I think I do think this is an easy book to kind of pick nits with. Um, but what do we think of it broadly in the sense? Because I, I I do like it, and I'd like to I'd like to say some of the things I did like about it a lot. I kind of liked it being, dis, despite having some some trouble with the pacing, I did kind of like the idea of it being like a Christmas story <laughs> narrative sure. that it's just set over like four days. And it goes from, from basically humdrum to upending his life so rapidly, mm -hmm. um, and that's maybe one of the reasons I wish it had been remarked upon more. Because by the end of that four days, he should be a physical and emotional wreck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he should be wrung out. Right. Yeah. He should be diehard. Yeah. He should be that kind of Christmas story. He's shoe. He's shoeless. Yeah. He's stepped on glass. And, yeah. John yeah. McCain limps he's into that limo. He's a little crazy. Um, but I yeah, yeah, exactly. But I did kind of like it that um, just in the sense that like I liked the I liked how I liked how much things changed. I liked that it went through the time of introducing this village, basically to blow it up. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of gutsy. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no one left really. I guess the shadow dudes recruiting people into bigot army, but <laughs> just the one. 
Well, I don't know who else lived. Well, I think I I think at the very end the the idea is that the shadow guy saw the girl and he saw a fireburn face, Scarface, in the yeah. dungeon, and he was he was like, which one should I apprentice, the girl? I think that's what it was. Oh, so it was Fireburn. Yeah. Um, remember Anna? Anna like burned him more. Yeah. With the fire water. Um, the magic water. I I liked that ending. It was a very uh, intriguing ending. I, good beginning, but good ending. I think that is a much better use of Maijin than sort of casting her off as um, she will never love our heroes. <laughs> what use is she? <laughs> um, but I did like her being thrust to hell. Yeah, that was fun. Yes. Like I, yeah. I, I laughed out loud <laughs> because it was kind of like the end of a medieval Christmas story, where like sure. the bad guys go to hell and Satan whips yeah. them for eternity, yeah. right? And the good guys enjoy Christmas roast, right? Yeah. Um, One part that made me laugh out loud was when he, after he's put on all the ex- all this stuff from the vault, and he like he realizes the stuff's potential like in the middle of the fight and then it like has like four sentences where it's like these pants are like yeah. level 42 <laughs> like, just, yeah. like how you're he's filling out like his how, character yeah. sheet <laughs> <laughs> but he's a latecomer like, to the rpg and session <laughs> and, right. and it's like the, the 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 game runner is like okay now you fight a troll and so then you're like, oh, I forgot. Uh, I have a I have a sort of anti regeneration. So oh, the troll's uh, innate troll racial slain. trait is negated. <laughs> and the and the GM is just like, come on, oh, fine, I, yeah, fine. Was anyone proud of Justin Call for having his flamberge be a flame sword? That was pretty fun. That was pretty cute. <laughs> yes, I actually was like, oh, all right, fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> Would you say so level ten for punniness? Yeah, I said level exactly. three thousand. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what were you gonna say, Rock? Um, oh, I liked the monsters. Yes. Oh, the monsters were creative. I liked that they were threatening like, industrial horrors with, you know, like with metal sticking out of them, and it made mm-hmm. them kind of hard to kill, and they were all a little different. Oh, yeah, and what was up with that twist and that it was actually the Wit Women who, like, invited the freaky monsters to the village? Oh, and they were, like, killing the babies or something? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was messed up. Yeah. But but that I was like, what? It was so, it was touched it upon like so another... briefly. No, that was, that was interesting. And it's probably like, not going to be explained, because they're all dead. Right. And Maijin's yeah, now sure in hell. Um, but I, and I also liked like they come out of the shadow, the that hands. Was, that was cool. And uh, that was kind of like, creepy. oh well, how the how do you fight that? Yeah. Does your own shadow count? <laughs> like, <laughs> what just, time of day was it? <laughs> like in the evening, you can't fight this stuff because you have long shadows. Yeah. Yeah. That was creepy. That yeah. was creepy. I did like that. Okay, we've interrupted you twice, Brock. Please. Oh, please you're go ahead. no, you're fine. Yours is. Uh, more insightful than mine, I'm sure. Um, so I was expecting some kind of, you know, when, when he's he's angling to have two uh, two winners instead of just one, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the avatar test. Um, I was e- expecting some kind of clever uh, Hunger Games-esque uh, manipulation of the rules, but 
I do I do kind of like that it was just like well no the rules say one person yeah. so you both you both lose <laughs> yeah. sorry boys yeah yeah that was um, that was that was nice that that actually happened that he didn't get away with it yeah cuz like these old guys love rules yeah but how cool would it be if he got castrated and then that was another weakness <laughs> right yeah one more one more element to his character sheet. And then he'd be like sneaking in the vault to see if they have a different type of prosthetic. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh, man. Oh, That's boy. Awesome. <laughs> we can't we can't um, end on that. So someone else brings something <laughs> else up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nope, that's where it's ending. Don't do anything else. Oh, no! <laughs> well, final thoughts. Um, I'll do mine. Master of Sorrows by Justin Travis Call was a noble first effort. I enjoyed it broadly. I don't know if I would read book two. It depends. If, 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 the, if the zinger on the back says, like, tons of theological discourse, I would be like, all sure. right. I'm in on that. Fully fleshed out religious. Yeah, let's systems. talk about let's talk about the uh, implications of some of these religious <laughs> statements this cult has made. You'll be on board for that. Okay. Yeah, I would really like that. I want I because I do want to see more of the world. I want to see more of how the religion works. Um, I could probably do less with God talk, but that's because I'm always bored by God talk, where it's like <laughs> ah this pantheon and they feud, and I'm like. Every pantheon feuds. <laughs> At this point, that's what, that's the, what they do. The radical thing would be like this pantheon gets along and hates humans. <laughs> like, oh no! <laughs> There's no hope. <laughs> do you have any final thoughts, either of you? I'm good. How about you, Brock? Uh, yeah, I I mean enjoyed it broadly. I think that is uh, that probably sums up my my feelings as well. Um, I think he's a he's a good writer. I think there were some some well-crafted uh, scenes and yeah good job Justin Cole okay all right so that was Master of Sorrows next month or you know apparently when we get around to it <laughs> yeah so uh, <laughs> baby permitting dang, yeah, baby permitting dang child um I mean I love her Space Fifth Book Space will be resuming will be beginning season two <laughs> Oh, oh boy, you better you better just wait and see wait, what? what we come up with. <laughs> we've now been doing this for a year, so we've done season one. For reals? Yeah. No way. We've done 11 books, and this one took us two months. Ah, okay. Okay, so next month, or when we get around to it, baby permitting, uh, I have chosen to read a book on the Hugo Slate. Slate. The Calculating Stars by awesome. Mary Robinette Kowal. Well, yeah, I like her. Have you uh, read that is, before? Yes, okay. that is on my that was on my list of books to choose in the future. Woot! Cool. Uh oh. All right. Well, night. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna go listening. feed a baby. <laughs> okay. <laughs>